0: Think of the names that you would think of for baseball Cy Young, Babe Ruth, Willie Mays, Hank Aaron, Ted Williams, Ty Cobb, Lou Gehrig, Mickey Mantle, Greg Maddox, Roger Clemens, Joe DiMaggio, all these players. I've had a special ability on the ball field that they exhibited. They're exceptional in their field and when they were playing. And today Peter is speaking to us, to a group of people who were persecuted in his day. They were plagued by Nero, putting on them that they were the ones who were burning it when actually he was doing it so he could build a monument to himself. But because of it, they were brutalized, they were burned at the stake, they were dragged around. And Peter had told them how to act. He had told them what they were. They were made for this special purpose that God had for them. That we were called by God and they were saved by Jesus Christ. And they were God's special chosen people. A royal priesthood. A group of people who were to be the bridges to this pagan society that they were living in. And empowered by the Holy Spirit. And in chapter 2, he goes on to say and address some of the social relationships that were difficult to do. And he gives them advice. He gives them the word of God. He says to them, when the government is hostile like it is, submit. He talks about relationships of work. And we're talking about slaves who were Underneath a boss who was not believer. And he says to the slaves, submit. He talks about the relationship of the marriage where the wife comes to know the Lord. And the husband doesn't want to know anything about it. Says, submit. And to the wife who doesn't want to believe. And to the husband that does. He says to him, submit to the Lord. So in all these relationships is submission. And then he gets to be very specific about dealing with these relationships and the personal perspective and principles you're to enact while you're going through these difficulties in your life. And so the Apostle Peter says it to sum it up. All of you be harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted, and humble in spirit. Five of them. Harmonious. He talks to them about being people who get along together. Maybe we don't have the same uniformity, but we have unity. And what he's talking about this congregation then, he says that you're to live together and work together and enjoy what God has given you. And you may do it differently, but you still have the same Jesus Christ. And this is a hard time sometimes, especially when there's pressure on. It's easy to lose that harmony and start blaming each other, especially when the pressure was on from the government and from Nero. And he says, to sum it up, be harmonious. You know, there were people who in Dwight L. Moody's day didn't appreciate some of the things he did to reach people for Christ. And so he was criticized for his methods of evangelism. And finally, he said to one of his detractors, well, tell me, what am I doing wrong? What do I need to change? What's your method? He says, well, I don't have any method. And so Moody said, I'm going to keep mine until you develop one that's better. So that I can reach people. Moody understood what Paul understood. Which was 1 Corinthians 9. I'll do all things to reach some. For the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when Nero was doing that persecution. Peter was working with the congregation. And they were working in unity. And he was calling them to stay in unity. And so this first principle was harmony. Working together. Even though you may have differences. You work in such a way that your goal is to honor Jesus Christ. But you may differ and do it in differing ways. The word in the Greek is phanero. And it means that we are separate but like-minded. I remember when I was in junior high and I learned about singing and about different parts of harmony. And it was interesting that when you play one note and everybody sings the one note, it's kind of flat. But then when you sing different parts and they all make the same chord, it's beautiful and it's full. And I learned that from a woman who was not a believer and she was a wonderful teacher in my school of music. And what we, I learned is that's the way the church should act. That we should work together in harmony, together, blending together our differences and the way we approach it so that we can enjoy the beauty of giving glory to God in a very beautiful way. Today, I'm leaving for Oklahoma this afternoon because there's a group of people that's a church that's not working out right now. And they've asked me to be one of the pastors to come down and be able to help sort out the problems that they're having and the visions that they're having so they don't split. And the tragedy is they've lost this idea of Harmony realizing that they can all glorify God and look to God, but that they understand that they can have different parts in it. And they've lost that because it's gotten to be where who's right and who's wrong, and they don't want to know any other way. And it's a tragedy, has it not been, of the world? How many times have we heard it, that people don't like religion because it's so divisive? Think about it in Ireland where we have Catholics who believe in Jesus Christ, and we have Protestants who believe in Jesus Christ, and yet they're killing each other on the streets because they don't have this idea of what Peter is saying. It's about this beautiful harmony that they can have together. Even though they may be differences and they emphasize different things, they still can be one and they can be together. Then Peter goes on and he says, you need to be sympathetic. He says, literally, the word means to sum of compassion, that you understand what people are going through, understand the other guy. And you see, all this is under what Paul talks about in Romans 13 about love. He says, oh, nothing except love toward one another. And when we love each other, we can be sympathetic to one another. We have this compassion that we know the needs of other people. And that we have this pathos or we understand their suffering. I know when I'm chaplain and I'm on duty and I get called and I have to go to a house. And tell a family like their child has been killed or their spouse has died at work. It's wonderful that as I go there I'm praying that the Lord will give me the wisdom to feel for these people and understand what they're feeling and try to give them the compassion and the understanding and the love of the brokenness of what they have telling them of how they've lost this loved one and to be able to get them on the journey of healing through grief and to be sensitive to their pain. The Scottish preacher, he said, one of the reasons why Moses was not a high priest He said because his brother Aaron was out there with the guys doing the brick and the mortar and was being whipped and beaten by the pharaohs and their leaders. And he said Moses was being raised in the pharaoh's headquarters in his white palace. And he didn't know anything about the pain that the Jews were receiving from the the Egyptians. But because Aaron did, God chose him to be the go between to be the high priest, to represent them before God because he understood the pain that they were suffering. He could sympathize with them. And then we also hear, then Peter says, and brotherly love. Now, brotherly love, at first I kind of chuckled because my brother and I, when we were growing up, there was not too much love between brothers. In fact, I could remember more chasing him with a baseball bat or him chasing me with a baseball bat than we could. But now as we're mature and I understand that love, how I know that there's nobody else in all the world that has my back like my brother. No matter what I'm going through, no matter the difficulty, he's got my back. In fact, my sister's the same way and they're both tenacious about it and they're both caring. And to know that they have that, that they have my back and they're keenly aware of my needs and they'll they will come to my aid if I need them. It's powerful. You know, it's kind of, and I know why Peter is saying this, because he knew that brotherly love. Not only in the body of Christ, but he knew it with his brother Andrew. How did Peter come to know Jesus Christ? He came because his brother Andrew brought him to Christ. And them being brothers, he wanted to share with him the best that he could have. And so in a very caring way, Andrew and Peter understood that brotherly love that stands behind each other and has a tenderness towards the brother and no matter what they're going through has a pity and will stand up for them and then peter goes on to talk about kind-hearted what he's talking about there is to be in there for them and, and 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 respecting them and peter with this respect is very intense He wants us to know that this courteousness. I can remember my mother teaching us courteousness. Say please and thank you. He's going beyond this. He's talking about a kind heart that's willing to stick by through thick and thin. And that's willing to be there. And then that tender heart. And and in the Bible, in the King James, it talks about the bowels. It means you feel it deep down inside that you're willing to, to go the distance for that. And that we often talk about intestinal fortitude or when we talk about gut checks. He's saying, you guys know this, this gut check that you have in your heart that's willing to stand no matter what through that. Your kind heartedness holds them um, and, 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 and is tender hearted to the needs of your brother or your sister. And then finally he talks about humble spirit. That humility of mind, we see Paul talk about that in Philippians. He says, do nothing of selfishness or empty conceit, but humility of mind regarding one another as more important than the other. A lot of marriages struggle here because sometimes we get to be to the point that we think we're above that other person. We don't have that humility in our marriages and it can bust out a family. And Peter understands Paul here. And Paul says, have that humbleness that's willing to get on the ground if need be. And understand the needs and put that person above yourself more than your own self. Joseph Parker said it well. He says, when you're growing as a Christian, it's not when you get the Spirit and that you can reach above to get the fruit of the Spirit. It's when you're mature enough to realize that you've gotta get on your knees and get to the bottom shelf and pull out those special gifts that God gives so that you can love people and see them better than yourselves. That you can have that compassion, that kind-heartedness, that tenderness. But it takes us putting ourselves behind And put it in them forward. This is a virtue that is so important in all of this, Peter said. That's why he puts it at the end. The humbleness of the spirit. That we, like Jesus, knew what we need. And he didn't keep heaven and stay there and say, I got a great gig here. No, he came down to earth and humbled himself so that he could deliver us. That attitude needs to be in all of us as Christians by putting others before ourselves so that we can love them and that we can show the graciousness of God. And then Peter goes on and say, in putting this into practice, this is hard. Those five principles are easy to talk about, but it's when you are put up against the wall and you're treated lousily. How do you react to that? Do you put on those principles? Do you put on Jesus Christ and you humble yourself? Or do you fight back? Notice what he's talking about here. In those days, the Christians were talked as they were dogs. They were called dogs, junkyard dogs. And it would have been easy for Peter to bark back, and he's saying to his brothers and sister. It's easy to bark back and call them pagan pigs, which is a derogatory term back in that day, especially a pig, because they were unclean animals. But notice what Peter says, when you have Christ on, and these principles are at work inside of you, he says you don't return evil for evil, you don't return insult for insult, but you give a blessing instead. For you are called for the very purpose that you might inherit a blessing. I've had counseling situations where marriage, and I've had people come in. I remember one time my office was on the second floor, and my secretary is on the first floor. And this couple came in, and I think she thought that they were two um, sailors from the, the port of Elizabeth in New Jersey because of what they said to each other was incredible. And my little secretary came out after that counseling appointment. They left and said, Pastor Dave, I heard words I've never heard before in my life. (laughs) Well, they learned how to deal with their relationship was insult for insult. They continued to barrage each other with all this negativity. And here the Bible says to us, when we're in it with somebody, Don't give them an insult back, give them a blessing. And a guy that I've had issues with who doesn't like me at all at Panera. And I remember one day sitting there with a new person and he was talking to them and he said something, uh, the new person said something to me about this man. And I said, oh, he's a great guy. And I started complimenting. He looked at me, I thought he was gonna fall off the chair. Because I was just trying to love him in Christ. And you see, this is what Peter is saying to us. That we don't provoke each other to wrath or to anger. But rather, as if it that depends on us. We give the blessing and we work on bringing peace in here. He says we're called for this very purpose. And when we do that, God puts a blessing on us. And that we can enjoy it. That we don't hold grudges. We don't get unfinished business of unforgiveness. C.S. Lewis said it right. He said, To be Christians means to forgive the inexcusable because God has forgiven our inexcusable. Same words that are in Colossians. That if you forgive someone, you forgive somebody, God will forgive you. You see, Augustine said that if you are suffering from a bad man's injustice, forgive him lest you also provide for two bad men. And what he's saying there is you need to forgive. Let it go. Don't put insult for insult. It just, what does it do? It escalates the situation and doesn't bring about the peace. And you see, what's the purpose here? Notice what he does. He then basically quotes Psalm 34. He said, the one who desires life to love and see good days must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. He must turn away from evil and do good. He must seek peace and pursue it. Now, Peter knows what he's doing here because we know, we see it, how many of us look at Ice Mag- Us Magazine or Self Magazine see Vanity Fair? We see People Magazine. And we see all these people wanting life. They want to have the fun of life. They think it's synonymous with self-indulgence to do whatever you want. And some of them, they, they sell themselves to the world. They want anything and everything that they can have. And they have the money and the power. And so they do it. And then they wonder why. They're still discontented and they haven't had life's good days. It's because all these things, the Bible tells us, are not going to satisfy. And what we find here is God flips it. (laughs) How many people do you know or we've seen of celebrities who isolate themselves and live immoral lives and think they're grabbing a hold of everything. Solomon, what a great example for the world to see. And we've seen it time and time again. Solomon had everything. He had the money, he had the prestige, he had built whatever he wanted, his heart's desire. And he had all the women that he wanted, and guess what? Had nothing. Because his book that he wrote Ecclesiastes at the end of his life. He looked at it all and he said, you know what? It's vanity. It's nothing. It means meaningless. He said, it has meant nothing to me. I'm not satisfied. And at the end of his life, he finally comes to the second to the last chapter and says in chapter 12, remember also your creator in the days of your youth. Before the evil days come and the years draw near when you say, I have no delight in them. Solomon finally understood that. He realized that all those other things that he cluttered his life with never brought the satisfaction. And when he started out with, with his relationship with God, finally came together at the end of his life when he went all those different ways. And finally realized that it was the relationship with God that brought him the satisfaction. Ernest Hemingway. A tremendous literary genius in his day. And he went out and did the same thing. They said Hemingway disregarded what he learned as a child of the Bible. And that Victorian system that he called of morality. He laughed at it and disregarded it. And then he went out and pursued the good life, supposedly what the world says. He went out drinking and partying and finding all different things to be involved in and and, and all the different kinds of women he wanted. He had power, he had fame, he had prestige. He traveled the globe, sold millions of books, had the money to pursue all his pleasures. And at the end of his life, Instead of finding the good days, he wound up taking his life because he was dissatisfied. What a tragedy of such a brilliant person. Why is it that there's so much suicide today? Especially among people over 60. Because they're not satisfied with life. They haven't found the peace. They haven't found the joy that they've been looking for years. And here, Peter quotes Psalm 34. And he wants us to know really where the joy is. He wants us to know where the satisfaction is in life. And that we understand what real love is about. And real relationship is about. And that it's not in vengeance. It's not in getting your pound of flesh. Not as using your tongue for evil and your lips for deceit. It's not finding all the things in the world to satisfy your soul. It's something totally different as Solomon discovered. And what we find here is as he quotes Psalm 34, he shows us what it's truly about. He says, for those who desire life, To love and see good days must keep their tongue from evil and their lips from seeking, speaking deceit. He must turn away from evil and do good. He must seek peace and pursue it. And he gives these imperatives, must turn away from evil. He do good. He must seek peace and pursue it. Not just turn away from it. Not just look for it. But to really pursue the peace in your heart that comes from Christ. And then he says, David pulls out this and Peter pulls it out. Because if you remember, these people are under persecution. They're struggling. They're in a lot of pain. Their life is being destroyed. And notice what he says here's the purview. For the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous, and his ears attend to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. And what he's saying is God's paying attention to you. He truly cares for you, and he's there for you. This psalm was written by David when he was captured by the king Achish. And as he's standing there before the king, he begins to desire his freedom and he acts like he's lost his mind. And he acts so insane that the king says, get rid of him. I don't want him to be any part near us here. And what we find in that psalm, David says, these are the good days. He says, these are the days... A freedom, not from my problems, not freedom from my fears, not freedom from my troubles, all in this psalm. Not freedom from affliction, verse 19. Not even freedom from a broken heart. But he says a good day for a believer who loves life is not which is pampered and sheltered, but one in which we experience God's help and blessing as we go through the trials and tribulations of this life. And that we experience the Lord and we can magnify His deliverance in us. As we experience Him answering our prayers, as we taste the goodness that He's giving us through the trials that we're going through, and that we sense His nearness. Even though he may not be relieving the difficulties. Because he's there. And he's always there. And he's against those who do evil to you. And be assured that he's present in his love for you. And that he will carry you through the difficulties that you go through. That's the good day. The good day when you feel his presence as you're going through that difficulty. It's God who intervenes. That's why I love reading the Old Testament scriptures and reading about the men and women who experienced that in their lives. The Bible is so refreshing for Gideon, whose victory came when God slaughtered 185,000 Assyrians. For Daniel, when he was in the lion's den and he prayed, and God shut the mouths of the lions. For when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were thrown into the fiery furnace, there was the fourth person there with them, which was Jesus Christ, by their side. And not a flame lit up their robes. Why, even after they got out of the fiery furnace, their clothes did not even smell like smoke. Why? Because God was there with him, beside them, caring for them. God's power was evident. And you know, it's interesting that we have, sometimes people have such a hard time believing that in our society today or in the history of this great country. And sometimes they mock. They say, oh, it was just lucky. Or it was fortunate that they had that happen. I was so expired the other day when I was reading about the Revolutionary War on August 27th, 1776. Not long after they signed the Declaration of Independence, George Washington and his 8,000 troops were basically on the East River in the Brooklyn side of the East River. And they were trapped. 8,000 troops trapped. 20,000 British soldiers in Washington with his ragtag army. They were surrounding. And what happened was there was a delay The British were supposed to attack and they were delayed. They were supposed to have the British armada come up in their navy and to come and get them from the other side. So They were trying to escape into the river. And they were delayed. And that night, a fog came over Brooklyn and the East River, so thick that you only could see six feet in front of you. And during that time, Washington... And his 8,000 troops snuck across the East River and were delivered from slaughter. And in some of the diaries of the men who were the warriors in that, they didn't say it was an amazing coincidence. They said it was the intervention and protection of God that spared their lives to come out of that and to fight another day you see that's what god promises for us that that good day is our day with him no matter what happens and that he will carry us through and that we can help others In that process, you see, Peter wants them to see that they're there for each other. And and this brotherhood is for each other. and, And that even though they're going through the crisis, God is beside them. And he will deliver them and he will give them the strength that they need. And that they can help one another. And today, this is what God is calling us, folks. We're to live in those five principles as we walk through life. And that when we're made fun of or we're mocked, we don't insult for insult, but rather we ins- when we're insulted, we give blessing. And that we realize that we are covered by the Lord and his presence with us. I remember I was reading there Robert Shuler. He was talking about in his day when he was growing up, he learned something from his mother that was very important. And she said to him, Robert, every day, begin today with a prayer and pray, dear Lord, lead me to a person who you want me to speak to, to whom I can give them the light of life. Pray that every day so that you can be that influence and you can show them the faith that our Lord promised David. Promise Peter in the trials and tribulations that they were going through and that he can be with us and we can share that faith with them. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for such a great faith. Thank you for the promise that no matter what we go through, you're by our side every step of the way. We have nothing to fear. And that we can walk boldly with you. And that not only for ourselves, but that we can have that compassion, that sympathy, that care for others. And that, Lord, we can be leaders. We can stand tall. Not being camouflaged in the world, but standing out of what a relationship with God looks like in each one of us. Jesus, help us to live that. And it's in your name we pray this. Amen. Let's stand and receive the benediction and close with our closing song. And now go in the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God your Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Amen.